Hi, Chris. How are you? Hi, Rod. Yeah, you well? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. Welcome to Wake From Sleep. This is episode nine on the 21st of March, 2022. Good intro. I like it. Thank you. Let's go straight to follow up. No point hanging about. Okay. So first up on my list was, whilst I might have pre-ordered an Apple Studio display, I may have driven somewhere and picked one up as they had some in stock in a, I say local store, it's about an hour away. I managed to fill it in before work. So I turn up in the middle of a conference call, waiting, waiting in my local Apple store, showed them my pre-order. They went and got it for me. So I've got two pre-orders. I've got one on the online store and then I pre-ordered the morning of and did a pickup in store. But super nice staff in there. And they've asked me loads of questions. Just uh, what are you going to do with it? Are you excited about it? How are you going to use it? And I was like, I'm going to use it on my iPad and my Mac. And they're like, well, you're going to plug your iPad into it. <laughs> and I was getting some funny looks from the Apple staff. But um, so picked it up really quick and easy. I was an hour and a half ahead of my my slot, but they were empty. And I was like, Do you, can I pick it up early? Because I need to get on. And they were super helpful. Put it back in my car. It filled the whole back seat of my Mini. And it weighs a ton. The box is, I don't know if you've seen one in an unboxing video, but it is quite a feat of engineering. So yeah, I've, I've got my studio display I don't know, two weeks early and super chuffed with it so very happy camper over here very nice i'm glad to hear it i presume the box is like the new imac the imac 24 probably unfolds in the same sort of way being given it's a similar sort of size yeah quite possibly it's really well done and no plastics you know and you lift the flap and you hinge it back and you the sides pop out a little bit and there's some compression pieces in there just really well i mean whoever whatever team designed the box they deserve an a for effort because i don't think i don't know how many consumers would recognize the work that's gone into that but i thought fair play that is is an impressive piece of work because you're not using any polystyrenes you know I, I don't know if you remember some apple boxes are of old inside the lid you might have a soft bit of material on it just all the bad stuff that we shouldn't be doing and to be fair i think they're doing an excellent job of getting their, their packaging down to be 100 percent recyclable no i agree it's, it's a laudable goal but i'm 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 conscious we're 90 seconds of talking about it and you've talked about the packaging what's the screen like the packaging was so good dude it's good it's a premium experience the screen so i've tried it on my mac mini m1 and on my ipad pro and it did work on my ipad mini which it didn't it said it wouldn't work but it worked fine it, it mirrored the display the screen is lovely it's big it's bright i'm comparing it to a 27 inch dev i've got on the wall here as well but it's far superior it's a lovely screen i've got it with the standard stand which for my purposes of a sit-stand desk is fine because obviously i can just raise and lower my desk and actually it works pretty well for me and then i'm predominantly using it on my ipad and just so just in front of it, i've got my ipad led down in essence, on a, on a stand that raises about, I don't know, 30 degrees, say. And that's working really well for me. The face ID just about works off my iPad. So what the monitor supports on the iPad is obviously mirroring the screen. So sadly, you've got two black borders either side at the moment. I'm hoping they're going to improve that in future releases. But I've bought it knowing that it may never, ever change. The audio works on it really well. The mics work on it. They sound pretty good. I haven't used mics a huge amount because when I'm in conference calls, I usually have my AirPods on. But the screen picture is lovely. The webcam doesn't work with the iPad. Sadly, that's the one thing that doesn't work with it. I've then, around the back, just got a lightning cable plugged into it so I can charge peripheral devices. But I mentioned in the last show, I bought a USB-C to Ethernet adapter. That works perfectly off the back of it. The iPad picks up as Ethernet, and that was the Belkin one that I mentioned last time. But no, super pleased with the setup. The screen is lovely. The brightness is is great for me. And you can control the brightness and the auto brightness within settings. 
so it knows exactly what screen it is. I'm running iPadOS 15.4. Yeah, I'm, I'm super chuffed with it. I, I think it's a lovely panel. I was always impressed, though, with the LG panels that I've had in previous screens. So I've got an LG 4K 22-inch screen or 21.5-inch screen. And the panel on that was always, I thought, very good. But the casing wasn't as good and didn't have speakers or a webcam. But no, super pleased with it. I've used the speakers quite a lot, actually for listening to various bits of audio for work and a bit of music in the office. Yeah, love it. But since since buying it, I don't know if you've kept up with the news, that it actually runs iOS in the background on it. And so I had to do a firmware update this weekend. So I was going to get a Mac to plug into it. And then it's also got 64 gig of RAM in it, which seems odd to me. So, oh, sorry, RAM, SSD, which is nuts considering they still sell an Apple TV with 32 gig. So I'm surprised it's got a higher tier when these things I thought would be a premium, but it probably explains the price. Well, it just comes with a silicon on a chip, doesn't it? You know, if you, if you put that sort of chip in your iPad or your phone or your your Mac these days, then you get what's on the chip as what's on the die as part of it. It'll have a really good GPU as well, probably over and above what's needed to drive a sixty hertz display. Yeah, and I guess when the A thirteen came out, maybe the sixty four was the smallest amount of SSD they did or stories that they did with it. But I think it's super nice. I've used it on a MacBook Air as well. My wife's got the M1 MacBook Air and I've used it on my Mac Mini. It is stunning. Plugged straight into the Mac, works really well. It's a lovely panel. I'd love to buy another one just to have in the house to use on a hot desk because I just think it's really nice. It just works. You just want a nice looking screen on the desk. Plug it into your Macs and off you go. I think the areas where it lets itself down is it's only got one input, Apple don't seem to like to do alternative inputs which is a bit of a shame but other than that super chuffed with it it's a lot of money and i do realize i'm privileged but yeah i've been wanting a nice screen for a long time so i'm a very happy camper i'm glad you're happy and it's it's a, it's a fairly glowing report you've given it which is which is nice to see i'm used to the display i've had two iMacs that have had that display in it that 5k display a non-pro and a pro iMac yeah it's a really nice screen good i wish you many years of fun with it here here's an interesting fact the, the thunderbolt cable that's packaged with it is worth $159, just the cable. So you've had a bargain there. It's 10% of the price. It's 10% of the price is the cable. So it's lovely, by the way. It's one of these braided cables. So it does feel like a premium cable. But look, I've, I've watched some of the reviews and we did, I think you and I mentioned a few of the reviews that came out. They said about the webcam not being great quality, which I haven't really used a huge amount, but it didn't look great. But it looks like it's going to get fixed in a firmware. But I I kind of went into it knowing that I'd probably end up with black borders on my iPad. And I'm fine with it. For what I want, it's a good quality screen. I'm very happy. So, yeah. Good. Happy, happy boy here. But I am looking forward to see MKBHD's review because he's done this Mac Studio, but he hasn't done the Studio display. So, hopefully, that will drop soon. I do think Apple missed a trick a little bit in that they released, they did the embargoes like one day after the other. And it's not fair on reviewers that are doing you know, all three or four items because you, you've got an, a reviewer doing the phone, the iPhone SE, then the iPad Air. And was there something else that they released? I can't remember. iPad Air, Mac Studio. And, and then the, they're doing the Mac Studio, Studio display, and the display. Yeah. So, whereas the Studio display and the Mac Studio, they can kind of review as one. But I think having the embargo so close together, they should have probably, for their own PR machine, staggered the release dates a bit more. They could announce them all at once. And then, you know, a week later the SE maybe a few days after that and just space everything out a bit because surely they're going to lose 
some review time and being top of the headlines because it's all condensed, I don't know. Maybe a little. I think The Verge did a very good review where they did the, the Mac Studio and the displays at the same time. And I think they were very fair to it. And they had the, the standard one and the nano coating studio display. And, you know, it was it was well-reviewed, apart from Neelay Patel absolutely hated the fact that the webcam was absolute garbage. And I know John Gruber also said the same thing, that the webcam was garbage. And I like The Verge's policy on you review the product in front of you, not the product it might be. So, uh, you know, I don't think there's any surprises with the screen. I'm glad you like it. It's well-packaged. Should you ever move to a real computer and not an iPad, at least you can take the display with you. So, yeah, very good. Well, that's kind of my thought, because I've got my Mac Mini down here at the moment, and I've plugged it in, and Xcode on it is lovely the you know macos works really well on it so i've got it for both both purposes really so yeah it did prompt me to look at i mean i I would think about it maybe as as we touched on last week i would think about it in one way or another but for like gaming needs for example i i priced a 4k gaming screen with sort of the refresh rate that i'd want at least 144 hertz that the graphic card i can that, that i've got now would drive so a 32 inch 4k gaming screen with qd leds 144 hertz is 899 pounds so half the price, really. Wow. It's nearly a tenth the price. Which is, you know, for a screen that's, in Apple parlance, 1K away with a slightly crappier stand. It's not necessarily... It's, is it worth that much more money? I guess time will tell. Yeah, I, I mean, I've certainly bought it expecting to keep it for a long, long period of time. I bought my LG 4K three years ago, maybe longer. And that's a good good panel for what I wanted it for. And I, I don't really play games on it. I just want it for, for work, basically, and doing computery things and noodling around with a bit of code. So, no, I'm happy with it. Sorry, I misheard your price. I thought you said your price was £188. You said it's £900 for your gaming screen. But like you say, though, that's, that's a 600 quid savings. Yeah. You, could, you could almost get two 4K gaming screens. Anyway... I think we made the point. I th- I'm glad you're happy with it. And the reviews are generally positive apart from the camera. Mics are good. You know, speakers are good. And you've backed that up as well. So let's see. Let's see what happens with it. And we'll see what, what comes into the space. I think it's solid enough. It's Apple priced, but reasonable for Apple pricing. And I'm glad you like it. So it's good. I'm a happy camper. That's all we need to know, really, isn't it? If you're happy with your toy, and it's not a toy, it's actually something you can do productive stuff with even more so. So good. I think my bank account's unhappy, but moving on. I'm going to keep saving and see what comes next. So other follow-up, did you finally finish Coda? I did finally get around and watch the end of Coda, which I've been saying I would do for ages. I sat down and watched it the other night. I think my view still holds. It's a good film on the whole, just not my kind of film, but I did enjoy it. I, yeah, The Apple sheen on it was good. Having sign language in it, subtitles, done really well. Very enjoyable. It may win some awards. There's talk of it Oscar-nominated, I believe. So mm-hmm. we, we see how that all pans out. But um, no, very enjoyable. Glad I've watched it. I think it's good, but like, it's just not in my wheelhouse. Fair enough. I've got a little bit of follow-up as well. The MotoGP rant I went on last podcast. Amazon have done the respectable thing and fixed it. So now it is available with the riders speaking in their own languages, mostly Spanish and Italian and others, with British, or sorry, English subtitles over the top of it. So yeah, well done, Amazon. You've done the right thing and it's transformed the show. It's become a watchable thing, you know, that I'm actually enjoying. It's a quick turnaround. Yeah. Yeah. Really good to see that they fixed it so quick. They must have either known there was a problem with it or they've deployed, you know, released the wrong wrong version or something. Yep. Kudos to Amazon for fixing it though. Yeah, no, really good. And in similar news, I've also watched The End of Suspicion, another Apple TV Plus show, which... Really enjoyed, actually. I was watching episode eight, and I thought it was going to be 10 episodes. And it started off like, oh, look, this looks like a finale, and they pull it all together. But no, really enjoyed it. Lots 
lots of good actors in it and bits set in the UK. Some bits close to me near Oxford and Gloucester, they mentioned, and then in London and then back over in New York as well. But really enjoyable, I thought it was and it's quite nice to have a TV series that's eight episodes because sometimes I do get put off when a TV show is so long, you know, like watching a 24-episode TV show. It does put me off a little bit because that's a big time sink. So really enjoyed Suspicion. I'm hoping it's going to free me up for some for some new shows on Apple TV Plus or catching up with the old ones that I haven't seen. Yeah, there's a few of them, and I, I will convince you to watch For All Mankind and Foundation before the at some point. F- Foundation's in the list. It's queued up on my Apple TV app. Excellent. And last bit of follow-up for this show, at least, is that I had a, a little login to my Steam account to see where my Steam Deck had got to, because people have been getting theirs now for sort of the last three weeks or so. And mine was scheduled for Q2, so I was hoping to get some sort of shipping email soon, and it's been pushed back to Q3. So just a reminder, the Steam Deck is a handheld Linux PC that is designed to run Steam games, mostly on the Proton emulation layer, which lets you run Windows games and Linux. And I was quite looking forward to getting it, and it's meant to be a really solid bit of hardware, although the software is a little flaky from, from the sort of reviews and things that I've read. Quite excited about it, but it's pushed back another quarter, so we shall see. I think all tech's getting pushed back a little bit, isn't it? I meant to say to you, if you listen to episode 389 of Connected, on Relay FM, they talk a little bit about the Stream Deck or Steam Deck. Sorry, Federico's got one, and he kind of says the same. It's quite big. His hands hurt a bit with pushing some of the buttons, and the OS is yeah, it's a bit flaky, I think. But it's first release, isn't it? It's out there in the wild. I mean, let's remember what our Apple watches were like first time around. They've come a long way, haven't they? So I'm sure they keep iterating on it. So when was yours due to be delivered? Did you say Q2? So I would have been expecting it in the next month or so. Yeah, okay. So it's from, and Q3 is all the way up to September, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. Have you got anything else on pre-order that's been delayed? No, that's about it for now. I, 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 I went mid-spec with the Steam Deck. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, it was expensive. It, I think it was just under £500 for the model that I ordered, which is quite a lot. It's not Apple Studio Display a lot or, or other bits of Apple hardware a lot, to, to be fair. For something, I'd probably get quite a lot of use out of. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't begrudge paying it. And, you know, We've talked before, we have most of the other consoles that are of this generation in the house. So there's a Switch, there's a PS5, there's an Xbox Series S, and there's gaming PCs as well. So I do, I, you know, I spend a bit of time gaming. I don't begrudge this kind of thing. I don't go to football matches, so I don't mind a bit, the odd bit of income on stuff like that. So it is what it is. It would have been quite fun to play with. And you can do stuff with it as well. I do like to hack around with this stuff. We might get to it later in the show, talking about the VPN that I've installed and things. But you, you can install other Linuxes on it. You can run it as a desktop. You can plug it into a monitor and actually take it with you and use it as a Linux desktop. That's quite useful, actually. I'm a little interested in it just because there's a few games I like the look of on Steam, but I don't really have a gaming PC or or maintain anything. So I would be a little interested in it, but I kind of want to see a few more out there in the wild. I wasn't interested enough to commit. And look, I love my handheld Switch, playing it all the time. So it's definitely in my wheelhouse, as it were. Oh, I forgot to mention, actually, whilst we mentioned Switch, just briefly, Mario Kart 8 track, I can't remember what they call it, track pack has shipped. And that is, that's gone down well in my house. I was trying to explain to my children, though, that you get eight tracks this wave, and then there'll be another wave, you get another eight, and so on and so forth. And it's 48 tracks in total. So good good amount of tracks coming, but really good, up, up to Nintendo's quality. And it's nice just for not a huge amount of money, get some more life out of a game. I'm quite a big fan of DLC. If you've got a good game with good mechanics, it's nice just to have a few more tracks to play. My summer's a bit disappointed there weren't any more carts or any, you know, just some different stuff to liven it up. But I thought the carts the tracks were good and we, we had some family games four player on the on the telly, which was nice. Grand Turismo spoiled them for new cars, I'm sure. 
I think we're going to need a dedicated gaming section at this point for for that we keep going back to games. It might not be a bad idea. Potentially, I don't usually play that many, but it's just been I don't know. It's been quite a few coming out lately, and I think yeah. And just our, our weekly Slay the Spire update. Not touched it. Sorry, dude. Mary Kart <laughs> Eight and a bit of GT. I think that's that's enough for me. It's not bad, good. It's not bad. Good. Okay, I think that sort of wraps us up for follow up. So, should we move on to the news? Yeah, why not? So I guess the big story that's quite topical because it just it's been happening today has been Apple's cloud outage, which seems to have affected most of their services over the last three or four hours. It's currently yeah, 9.32 in the UK and it seemed to start early morning in the States that it was noticed on Apple's service page that most services were down, including iCloud, iTunes, podcasts. It's not iTunes anymore. Apple Music, uh, purchasing of music from the store, Apple TV, lots and lots of affected uh, uh, services. Yes, I noticed at the end of the working day here, I was just about to look at our show notes and I couldn't open the document because it's on iCloud, in pages. So that's how I picked up on it. But actually, it's caused me very little issue. I could text you still on iMessages, so that was still working. Everything else in my house was working, so I just put it down as a blip. I did wonder whether it's anything related to the Russian-Ukrainian war that's going on at the moment. Is there any cyber espionage going on or hacking? But I don't know, it seems to be back up. Whether we ever know what it was, I don't know. Well, cloud outages are, are, have always been a fact of life, haven't they? You know, Google services go down, Facebooks have notoriously gone down for long periods of time. If you remember back in the day, Sony lost PSN over Christmas about four years ago now, five years ago now, and that was down for two or three months, which turned out to be a credit card hack as well as a service outage. So, you know, this isn't having the odd service down for a couple of hours isn't the end of the world, although it feels like it to, to users who are trying to, you know, get their Facebook or get their iMessages to work or must download that game from the App Store in this case perhaps but yeah i mean they're, they're, they're always a story though yeah i'd forgotten about that but i think i had a playstation at the time but i remember it being a, a thing because i work in a bit of it security in my job and certainly came up of how was it down for so long because it's unheard of isn't it yeah and if there was ever going to be a bad time for your service to go down over christmas when all the kids are unla- unwrapping their new playstations and their games and the fact that so many uh, games are dependent on the cloud component in fact if you look at gran turismo there was a gran turismo outage this week and that stopped it playing because there was no. Lo- it needs to communicate with a server to even play a local game on it. So that balance of of dependency in the cloud, which gives you lots of of benefits, obviously for, for you know, downloading games, uh, for downloading local races and things like that for multiplayer, does have an impact even on sort of the local ability of the of the game. Yeah, I, I found that out with Gran Turismo. I think when I was first trying to set up for my son, it was like, no, it's got to be connected. And I was like, why does it need to be connected just to do single player? One thing I found a little interesting with Gran Turismo is down the bottom left of the sort of main menu screen, it tells you about the latest patch and any outages. And after my experience of visit, I just see there's outages and server issues. And I'm not clicking through all the news, I just want to play single player. But it, it doesn't bode well if all you see is server issues and patches and updates for things they're fixing so it, it doesn't make you feel like it's a quality product i think grand turismo is quality by the way but you know just on the periphery you're just picking up those negative messages that they've had to fix a lot of stuff yep so i mean it's definitely a thing and we'll watch it and as i'm looking at the screenshot now it looks like maps are still down in america and a few other bits and pieces as well for icloud so hopefully that's back up and resolved fairly soon and it's not some wider endemic problem I'm really curious to know what, what the cause of it was because it's brought so much down. You'd have thought so much more would be siloed, especially after, fa- you remember Facebook had, wasn't it when they took down the internal apps or something and impacted so much of Facebook's infrastructure? You'd have thought the way Apple would have built everything is there's not one single thing. 
Yeah, I mean, they've never really been known. They've been better in recent years. But if you go back to the Mac.com days, you know, uh, Apple and cloud services were not a great combo. So they're definitely an awful lot better than they used to be. Did somebody say my bar me? (laughs) Exactly. Or the back to my Mac desktop thing, which never worked anywhere, ever. No, it was a nice idea, but yeah, right, it never worked. Anyway, should we move on? So moving swiftly along, it's been observed by iFixit and others that do teardowns on machines that the Mac Studio itself has SSD slots that aren't in use in some of the computers. And they're vaguely upgradable, which is quite interesting for a product that's very hard to get into. For example, to get into the Mac Studio, you need to rip the I was just about to say that. Like, Are they upgradable? If you can get in, that's your reward. Yeah, well, the reward, it's not its not a reward even when you get there. So you've got to rip the rubber foot off the bottom of this new, you know, £2,000 computer to get at the screws, which are some Apple proprietary, you know, hex-based or Torx-based screws to get into anyway. And then once you take a few bits apart, there are actually SSD ME sockets that you can put new SSDs into. But even when you do, the Mac, the Mac sees them, but then refuses to boot off them. So there's obviously something linked between the SSD that's there in the machine to stop you fitting more RAM. Apple are doing self-service repair, but it's just for iPhone 12 and 13 for common repairs. It's not for Macs at all. So I remember the good old days, oh, I'm going to say iBook G3 territory, where you could pop the battery and slide the hard drive out and you could pop a bigger one in. or you, It's probably too early a timeline for SSDs, but in later earlier MacBooks, you could pop an SSD in. And then on the same iBook G4, you could take the keyboard out and put the Wi-Fi card in. But And it was quite good because if you couldn't afford it at the time of a purchase, it didn't mean you could, you know, a year down the line, get a bit more life out of it. And it's, I don't know, I my preference would be that they're clever enough. It would be good if you could upgrade the storage and the RAM. But kind of where they're heading with with the new socks, it's, they're going further away from it for, for performance reasons, which I do get. In the world where we're trying to reuse and not be as wasteful, I do think it's a little bit of a miss. Well, hold that thought. Maybe we might talk about that in the main show because there's this. What does this all mean for a Mac Pro that I'd, I'd like to cover later on anyway? So let's let's try and get through the news. So I don't know if you saw the story earlier this week about advertising appearing in Windows File Explorer. Yeah, I, I saw this briefly came across my periphery, and I think the Microsoft have said it was pretty, it shouldn't have been released or something. But why were they doing it anyway? Well, that's the the crucial question. And again, just to be explainer-in-chief, so for, for the Windows users amongst us, rather than having a, a Finder, the Windows users use Explorer, so how they navigate the computer and move files around and things like that. And there were actually adverts appearing within Explorer, not on a browser or anything like that, just directly within your operating system. And it, this was some build, internal build of Microsoft that leaked out where the adverts were, were visible. But as as you say, Chris, I think the fact that there's adverts in it at all means that it's probably coming at some point. Yeah, it doesn't feel good. It feels like Microsoft's going the way of Google. Well, there's money in them, their hills. And since they've moved to more or less free upgrades to their operating systems, if your hardware fits, they're obviously looking for another revenue model. But I, 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 I thought they were making so much from the server and from office sales and from you know Outlook server instances and things like that. There was no great requirement for them. It's, it's, it can be a lost leader, the Windows operating system on the desktop. Do you think they've got the same pressure as Apple? You've got to you know, turn everything into a service wherever you can, that kind of you know pressure from investors? Well, I think every publicly traded company does of that, don't they? They want to see as many sort of dollar signs on things as they can. And it's not like this is news. They've collected analytics from the Windows 10 days. It's very, very hard to turn off some of the analytics in Windows 10. So I'm not surprised there's a bit of advertising coming the other way. 
it, it, it just feels a bit scummy, really, doesn't it, to, for the operating system to have advertising sort of dip, baked down to that level. Do you reckon they're added tip jar as well? <laughs> oh, they, they've earned it. I mean, the, the, the public perception of Microsoft, is, for me, as somebody who really didn't like them as the investor Apple user towards the end, is that they're a much better company than they used to be. And I think Satya Nadella has been a big part of that. And you know, things like Visual Studio Code is now accepted by the Linux community even. You've got Windows Subsystem for Linux. And who'd have thought that would have happened back in the days when the antitrust was, was going on? You can do an awful lot more in a more open way. And Microsoft are more open about it than they ever used to be. But every so often, you just get a hint of the Hydra that sort of might still be hiding behind this a little bit. But, you know, they're better than they were, which is good. Hey, look, I'm, I'm with you. I think not a big Windows fan. I think they did a lot of good with Windows 10. Windows 11 looks awesome. I think they've come a long way with it. A lot of my team are running at work. And you see it on the screen. And it's, have we got a Mac in the office? It's, oh, no, it's, it's Windows 11. And I think they've done a lot of good stuff, keeping it fresh. So I'm quite impressed. They, they seem to be tapped a lot of long-term debt as well, technical debt. Like there's new notepad coming, new task manager. So I'm generally quite pleased with what they've been doing. I, this one just feels dirty to me. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I, and as for a new notepad that now has a dark mode, 15 years too late, but moving on. We have a story about they're, Apple. They're, they're writing all wrongs. They are, they are trying to. Apple removing rentals and purchases. Yeah, so, so I just snapped this in at the last minute. So Apple have removed rentals and purchases from the Apple TV app that you can get on Google TV and Android TV, um, which I find interesting. By the way, I don't know what the difference is between Google TV and Android TV. That, that just seems like the same thing to me. I don't think Google know the difference between Android TV and Google TV. It's very muddled, isn't it? But what they've done is, my understanding is they've had to remove the purchases because otherwise they get the 30% Google, Google tax. And so it's quite interesting that they're getting a dose of their own medicine, which I thought was a little bit funny. <laughs> That's brilliant. I, I, that, that seems more than fair to me. I think Apple should have to pay the Google tax, and I'm sure Google pay the Apple tax in some cases. So, you know, why not? If it's good for the sure, goose, it's good for the gander. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, Google TV is the newer version of, of, of Android TV, just real-time follow-up, that's on the newest version of their Chromecast-type thing, so it's not entirely streaming from your phone. It's something that you can actually control with a remote control in the same way you can a Prime Stick or, or an Apple TV or something like that. But they've had a couple of goes at it, and the, and the name does vary wildly. Yeah, I find it quite interesting. We've got a couple of old Sony TVs in the house, and one boots up in proper Google TV sort of style which you barely ever see because occasionally i'll do a firmware update on it and there's, there's nothing for it yeah topic for a future show is how google just drops stuff all the time i think uh, with the exception of gmail and a couple other core services search advertising that they do swither and move around a lot who do you think's worse google for, for dropping services or apple for releasing an app and then just letting it die on the vine i think they're probably just as bad as each other but all we need to do is sort of look at all the various communication apps that Google have released over the years, starting with Google Wave and through, you know, all the various services they've offered since, and none of them has stuck to date. So we'll, we will see. Right, next up, media. So we have got much on media this week, but I just added in two things because it dawned on me as I've been watching Suspicion on Apple TV+. And I was like, do you prefer it when they drop all the shows in, in one go? Or do you like the weekly cadence of something coming out each week? It's a good question, and I think it varies depending on the show. So some things I'm delighted to watch week by week, and I can't give an Apple TV. Well, I could give an Apple TV reference like Severance. I am quite enjoying week to week because it's such an unsettling show that I don't mind it being sort of postponed to, to the next week. And Peaky Blinders is back on in the UK for its last season, and I'm really enjoying that coming out week by week. Netflix tend to drop everything in one hit 
So I absolutely loved watching The Witcher, the second season of The Witcher, just in one hit where I could binge it. It felt like a more appropriate show for that. Wizards and Warriors, swords and sandals, you know, a bit, a bit of a fight and move on. It's all it's quite light-hearted in a way. Whereas sort of the more thoughtful thing like Severance and, uh, and Peaky Blinders, what you want to actually think about a little bit, that, that works well for me on sort of a week-by-week drop. Okay, so Netflix, I think, were the ones that, that brought this concept of drop the whole the whole season in one go with House of Cards season one, if I remember correctly, which must be 10 years old or something by now. So I remember that. But I was thinking about it while I was been watching Suspicion. And so I was watching Suspicion, quite enjoyed it, like I say. And then I was like, oh, I kind of want to watch the next one. But I actually quite enjoyed that to wait a week like, because I think... And I've certainly noticed this from my children. We do live in a world where we get everything now. And it is quite nice sometimes that you've got to wait. And I know some people, if if a show is going to be dropped weekly, they'll let it stack up. But actually, I quite enjoyed, I will just watch it as it comes out. A bit old school. Maybe it was just a bit of retro for me because I don't often do it. You know, it reminds, it reminds me of sitting in front of the TV with four channels as a kid in the 80s. Yeah, I was about to say something like that. There's, there's something about the nostalgia or the community thing of having to wait for something to come out for you to watch that you talk about when you went to school or work or, you know, when you met your mates at the pub, pub later. And and we have slightly lost that. And you can see they're trying to bring it back a little bit with, with services like, I can't even remember the name of it, the Apple service where you can both watch it at the same time. We can't do real-time follow-up on that. Shareplay. Shareplay. With services like Shareplay where you can both watch it at the same time. And I think that's that's nice but not everybody's in the same place. You know, somebody's cooking dinner, you know, you, you can't get in touch with your friend to watch it. And it's a bit weird watching something like that. To be honest, I've never even tried it with any of the services that offer it. No, I know Netflix do, I know Amazon Prime do. Whereas that I've watched it, I've thought about it, and I'm going to walk into work and chat about it or in the water cooler for want of a better phrase. That's quite a valuable thing as well. And I think you get a little more media presence with that sort of week-by-week drop in, in making, making people wait for it. And I think Apple particular are doing this you kind of they'll release two or three episodes of a show and then do it week by week and try and get the best of both worlds they certainly did it with ted lasso and they've done, they're doing it with severance and, and others yeah i think i've made my mind up i like it to come each week and stretch it out just because we do live in this world where you do get everything all at once it's kind of like with mario kart they're stretching that out by releasing it in waves fair enough no i it's, it, i like that mixed mode no i think about it i think we both get the thing we want out of that as well and it's you know we've, we've kept what uh, it's kept us watching hasn't it so it's a good thing yeah definitely okay next up on my list on media is i'm just going to give a mention to there's a new apple tv plus show called we crash which is all about the company we work which i remember hearing about but i don't know a huge amount about it and it's got arid letter in it and and Anne Hathaway. And the trailer looked great. Quite like both those actors. I've seen them in many things. So I'm quite looking forward to that. So that came out on Friday the 18th of March. So I'm looking forward to watching that. And I think they've done the drop the first three and then it'll be weekly thereafter. So I watched half an hour today at lunch. Really, really good start. Quite interesting how they got We Work up and running. And I'm curious to see. I'm assuming it crashes at some point. So I'm curious to see how that's going to pan out. Closing the title. Yeah, I, I'd give that a go. I'll have a look at it and see. There's a, the, the, it's not one that was sort of on my radar particularly. There's, although there's a few in this sort of vein recently. I know Disney Plus have a dope sick, which I watched and enjoyed about the Oxycontin horribleness that happened in America over the last sort of 15 years with Michael Keaton, which is it's well worth a watch, actually. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I hadn't appreciated the impact Oxycontin had. And as an ex-medical professional, some of the phraseology that was used in that that was 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 pioneered by the pharma company not by the medical professionals like breakthrough pain 
which I always thought was what people experienced after post-op, even as, a, as, as, like I say, a healthcare professional. People would come with patient-controlled patient analgesia, there'd be a background dose, and if they got breakthrough pain, they'd give themselves a dose of something. It was Purdue Pharma came up with a concept of breakthrough pain so they could prescribe more Oxycontin to people. So this sort of, this documentary based, based on a true story with most of the facts in it is very popular and can tell a really compelling story for something that's important for viewers to find. So yeah, I think We Crashed sounds quite interesting. I think it looks good. But weirdly enough, another company's made a film of very similar format, I believe. So I don't know if you remember this, like when A Bug's Life came out many years ago with Pixar, the other other animation firm at the time did, and there was two films with very similar, two companies doing a film with very similar content. And like I say, there's We Crash by Apple TV, and then there's another one about WeWork as well, all, all launched at the same time, which I've seen this before, but it's bizarre they come out at the same time. There was also one about Raymond Capote, Capote, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, but uh, again, there was two. two Truman Capote, yeah, yeah, yeah. Truman Capote, thank you. Sorry, not Raymond, apologies. And they both came out at the same time, and it was just like, what's going on here? But studios get wind, I guess the other one's doing something, and they want to act in that space. Yeah, it's true. We had Babylon 5 and we had Deep Space Nine. There was the, 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 this, these kinds of things have gone on for a while, I think. Like you say, the sort of people of the ideas or one steals off the other or however it goes. And it's also the third example is the Theranos story about Elizabeth Holmes, which again, there's something on Disney Plus about, but there's about to be a feature, feel, a feature film. So, you know, she was meant to be the, the, the next Steve Jobs for the pharmaceutical industry. So yeah, that's also meant to be a fascinating story. So yeah, these things happen. Okay, I'm going to have to check one of those out then. I think that does it for media. I've got to follow up on some of these shows we've recommended for each other and, and get watching, really. And I will give Coda a go myself. Do it. So, on to the main show. With with over 30 minutes of the podcast gone, we finally made it to the main show. And I just I wanted to ask a question about, now we've got a Mac Studio, and now we've got an M1 Mac, and now we've got extremely powerful Mac laptops. Apple have said there's going to be another Mac Pro. What does a Mac Pro look like, given what we know of it at the moment? interesting i wonder i don't know i wonder how much the mac studio has eaten some of the market which i'm really pleased to see the mac studio come out because i remember when i bought a mac pro years ago you could pick one up for about 1800 pounds in the uk kind of base level but it got you in the door and then you you know over the years you could add to it which i did do storage and graphics cards so i think it's great that you can now get a mac studio that services that lower end of the market that want a, a bit of horsepower a bit of storage but you haven't got Mac Pro money, which most people are in, I think. I wonder if this is just going to continue Mac Pro where it is at the moment of super high level, you know, compute power, you know, all the edge cases of extreme compute. And it's just going to push the, the boundaries there. I do wonder whether they're going to put two ultras in it, though, because there was talk, wasn't there, of, you know, having a four, in essence, of four chips in one. So I wonder if they're going to just, I know they said the ultra was the last M1 chip. I wonder if they're going to, expand that out part of me did think would they go straight to an m2 with it and start at the right high end with the m2 but apparently when you do a new chip it's easier to start low with the you know the more general use one and build up to to the the more performance one so it's gonna be interesting what they do but i don't know and i'm, I'm guessing graphics cards are out because it's all on board now in the unified memory so is it just going to be st- expandable storage and and afterburner cards yeah, and even the Afterburner card. I mean, the Afterburner card, to my knowledge, I'm not a video professional, I dabble, but is to help with Final, Puck, Final Cut Pro encoding and ProRes and, and 444 video and that kind of stuff. With all the silicon on chip that's in, in the M1 Ultra, you don't need a lot of that. So I, I agree with you. The Mac Pro, 
and you know going back back in time the, the, the pro max in towers were there for expansion slots if we're saying you don't need a video card you don't need pro level audio cards maybe you need an afterburner card and maybe you need some extra storage uh, what is the market for the Mac Pro? What is that machine genuinely? Does it need these slots, or is it just a slightly taller Mac Studio with more with more SSD space on it, or, or more cooling? Yeah, I don't know. What would you want it to be? I think the problem is I'm still in the mindset of when I bought my Mac Pro, which we both bought ours more or less at the same time. Was I'd occasionally flip it into Windows and I'd play some games. Mac gaming isn't a thing. Unless it's an Apple Arcade, Mac gaming isn't a thing. And yeah, I've got Steam and I can do some bits and pieces. But if you want to play games, you go and buy an Xbox or you run, you buy a Windows gaming PC. You're not going to buy a Mac Pro to run Windows games because it can't. And although the graphics card may be good, they can't run at that sort of high sustained loads. They get obliterated. Even the Mac Studio and the M1 Ultra get obliterated by a higher end uh, dedicated graphics cards. Despite Apple's graphs, I mean, they may chop the graph. I mean, they're not the greatest graphs in the world anyway. They chop them off at the top. Yes, they use a lot more power, but when you give them the power, they run an awful lot faster than than what's in the silicon on a chip. So, if you're taking away the gaming market and you're taking away the pro video market because they're trying to give it to them within the chip, and if you have more M1 Ultras mystically connected in some sort of connector that we haven't seen yet, or two of them on the on the board, or however they're going to do that. It's kind of lost its way a little bit for me. They're going to have to tell a really compelling marketing reason to sell me a Mac Pro that I don't, you know, unless the, the products are some stellar thing that we just haven't got a clue about yet. I'm a bit lost as to where it goes because the Mac Studio answers for me, it answers a scientific use case, it answers the, you know, video professionals use case or the musicians use case for, for everything that you'd want out of a high end Macintosh. And I, like I say, there's just, I can't see the Mac Pro in there. I guess we're not in the target audience for Mac Pro. I think they're just they're just going to push the performance of the Mac Studio to the next bar. I guess maybe we we can't understand what that looks like, but I think we I think we can get they could do maybe the performance side have increased amounts of RAM, more storage potentially. But what else? I think that's what we we don't understand. What's going to make it more than just a really big Mac Studio? Yeah. You think 128 gigs of RAM sounds a lot, but the Mac Pro, the, the 2019 Mac Pro, does one and a half terabytes of RAM. So it's not close to that. And if you're somebody who needs one and a half terabytes of RAM, presumably in the scientific field is what I'm thinking. If, you do, if you're running AI or doing lots of image stuff, you need a lot of RAM. You need lots of things in memory to have these fast processors work on them. A Mac Studio is not going to be able to answer that. And I think the problem is if you look at the architecture of what's coming or what's forecast for, for the chips, it's going to be really hard to connect four m1 ultras or eights or however many needs to go on there because of the problems of, of where does it all go on the die so that's really interesting to me is they, they can't offboard the ram they can't offboard the, the 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 gpus they can't offboard because that's most of the benefits of what they're getting on on the silicon on a chip so that's why my confusion is coming i think it's a wait and see for me yeah i think i'd agree with that i think it's interesting that they actually pre-announced it because Apple have never pre-announced anything, so it's interesting they nodded to it. I think they nodded to it, though, to say it's coming, but also to shut everybody up about the 27-inch iMac that we discussed last week. So just to go, that it ain't happening at the moment, but we've got one more to go. Do you think we're going to see it at WWDC, which is only three months away? I would hope so, because if they want to get it out this year, it's been done before. If you remember, the Trash Can Mac Pro was announced at WWDC and only just shipped 
you know, uh, in the year before the year end was up, and we remember how great a computer that was as well. But no, I think I think we'll see something at WWDC. The uh, last Mac Pro was also announced at WWDC, so I think I think that's when it's going to get announced. It would be good to complete the transition. Let's get Intel taken off the website. Let's you know close that one down. I think I think it'd be good if they could get it out there and stop all the speculation. But I don't think we know. We just don't know what it looks like, do we? No, we don't. Just a, an additional thought, because I think we were. this is really a wait and see. Apple are going to have to do an amazing job of selling us whatever this Mac Pro is. Particularly, you know, I think the Mac Studio does most things. But the Mac Studio's got one thing that I didn't think we needed anymore, and that was an SD card slot. Do you think Macs need an SD card slot? So, interesting you bring this up today. It's two things. One, I've got a Nikon Z7 that only takes QXD cards which I have never really paid much attention to. And I had to go and buy one, and that was about 100 quid on top of the cost of a cam. Annoyingly, the newer Nikon Z7 comes with an SD card and a QXD card. But it's interesting being said today, I don't know if you listen to Decoder, which is produced by The Virgin, Neil Patel, but they interview a lot of CEOs. And today, the one I listened to today, which I think came out uh, a week or so ago, they're interviewing the CEO of Raspberry Pi, a company based here in the UK. And one thing he had commented on was, obviously, if you get a Raspberry Pi, you need an SD card. And his basic view was make sure you get a branded SSD card and not some knockoff ones, because you'll get it will just last forever if you can buy a SanDisk one. You won't find it corrupts or ends up, you know, ruining your OS installs. And it was just interesting that you coincidentally put this in, in the show notes after he was recommending go buy Sandisk or some other well-known brand because you'll you'll have a much better experience and you won't suffer data corruption. So I still use it on my Nikon, like well, equivalent of an SD card. But my understanding is in the Mac Studio, and it's kind of the same with HDMI, they haven't used the latest specs. So it's a bit disappointing that you're buying a premium product. You kind of want it to have the latest of everything. Get it. Yeah, it's a two grand box. Stick everything in there. Yeah, and to, you know, a dongle stuck in the back of one of your Thunderbolt adapters isn't ideal when you've got the slot next to it. There, I, I, I can see both sides of it. The, the dongle next in that is going to give you the fastest possible transfer speed. I only need an SD card for my Raspberry Pi. The last time I did it, I run a Pi hole on a Raspberry Pi, as well as home, some home bridge software, so I can bridge between HomeKit and some of the non-HomeKit compatible equipment that I've got, such as my unified doorbell and security cameras and things like that. I can get them to show up. Nest heating system. Uh, so it's useful for that. It's useful for the odd time I get the GoPro out and I want to do a little bit of video that I can just transfer something over there, there and then. But it's not something I need every day on a computer. I guess it's just it's it surprises me that Apple are now sort of caving in to the demands for the occasional use of something and for the professionals who use it day in day out i'm sure if you've you know you've just taken something on your nikon or your canon camera and you want to get it in a final cut pro as quick as you can bang in the sd card and off you go it's just i, I it's an interesting thought experiment as to why they've done that and, and the hdmi port on the on the laptops and the mac studio what else will they bring back they should never got rid of it should they so they brought it back to some, why not all? Because I, I turned my M1 Mac Mini around the other day and I thought I thought there was an SD card around the back, but there isn't. It's just it's just the vent, isn't it? But no, I, th- I think they were right to bring it back. It's in- I am curious, like with these QXD cards, are they going to replace SD cards? But then again, Nikon have relented, like I said, on the released model, on the newer versions, they've then gone back and added in an SD card as a secondary slot. So may- maybe SD cards are going to be these things that won't die, probably a bit like USB-A. Well, probably. It's not a bad thing. I seem to remember Sony were really bad at putting proprietary things in their cameras as well. Memory sticks. It was actually called memory stick as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I remember those. 
Yeah. Oh well, we, time will tell. I'm glad it's there. I think there's lots of uses for it. Put it on more computers, Apple. It doesn't take up much space. So, good. I thought I might talk a little bit about, just moving along, about I set up a home VPN and my reasons for doing so and what I did and how I did it, if that's of interest. Have you got a home VPN? Yeah. No, so... As lockdown is ending, and I'm out and about again, we're all back into the world of having to make use of other people's Wi-Fi. Now, working in education, I'm really useful. When I go to another campus or a hospital, we have a thing called Eduroam, which every university in the UK and some internationally have. So I can take my laptop to Singapore, open it at a university in Singapore, and I've got highly secure Wi-Fi, which is authenticated across the world. You even get it if you get close enough to a mega bus or National Express buses, you can actually often find it on them as well. So it's a really impressive Wi-Fi standard. But when you're not, and when you're sat in Starbucks and you want to connect to the Wi-Fi, I flip on a VPN just because I'm not very happy with you know who else is running stuff on that network. So I I have a and I've my completely drawn a blank on the name of it. Start again. I have a Proxmox bare metal hypervisor computer kicking around, so I can fire up virtual machines whenever I want. So I have a Ubuntu server operating system that I pulled up in two gigs of RAM with a little bit of space. I installed WireGuard, which is a highly encrypted VPN solution. It's not OpenVPN or, or one of the older ones. And within about seven minutes, I had four clients configured: my phone, my iPad, my Mac, and one of my kids' phone with a VPN. It entirely just connects through that. It was seamless. It was absolutely pain-free thing to do and now I know I've got secure browsing or, or whatever else I'm doing on the computer my encrypted email from my university server whatever wherever I go in the country I just thought it was a worthwhile exercise as a you know a, a, as a software toy to play with but so that actually has some benefits when you're out in the world so there's only reason you rolled your own VPN because I went and bought ExpressVPN although some deal where you buy it for a year and it wasn't a lot of money for a similar reason to yourself, I want to use it when I'm out and about. Also, we've got a policy at work. If you go out of the country, we block all foreign countries. For, you know, if you're there, you can't log into Microsoft 365. And I thought, well, I'll just, if I go abroad, I'll just flip it to the UK. And, you know, from a work standpoint, I can just, you know, it, it fakes that I'm in the UK. So why did you roll your own rather than buy one off the shelf? Well, because I wanted it on my home network. I've got devices on my home network that I want to hit as well. So, And the example you've just given about being out of the country is quite important too. ExpressVPN is a good product. I know they sponsor lots of podcasts. ExpressVPN, if you're looking to sponsor a podcast, then please do keep us in mind. There are issues around ultimately where does where do the bits go for some of these VPN services because you don't know. And I'm sure ExpressVPN isn't one, maybe, but who knows, that quite a lot of them are only are owned by one company and as they start to aggregate into one company that's 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 a bit of an issue i never like to see one organization owning too much of what is you know it's a virtual private network it's meant to be all sort of controlled by it shouldn't be controlled by one entity for obvious reasons so a the ability to hit my own home network so i can get on my own nas i can see any files that i've got to do and all the rest of it if you are out and about and abroad, particularly, and you want to stream your iPlayer, then actually doing it from your home network makes an awful lot more sense than hoping that ExpressVPN or any of the other ones, Wireshark, have got an appropriate endpoint in the UK for you to be able to watch iPlayer because they block them all the time. So for me, it was just about having a little bit of control and scratching my own itch for, for could I do it? And I could very easily. I think this is what I have. As much as I'm interested in technically how these things work, I've got no interest in maintaining it. You mentioned your Raspberry Pi earlier that runs Pi Hole, which I did play with for a while. In the end, I just bought Eero Plus, Eero Secure Plus, which just blocks all my ads for me and costs me not a lot of money per month. I think I've just got lazy at maintaining like home networks. I just want it just to maintain itself or have very light touch, which is why I've gone down the, the buy the app room just for convenience, I think. 
Yeah. That, so that... what would you dial in there? What would you get off your home network? Because I haven't got very much on my home network that isn't in the cloud, if that makes sense. So I've got a Synology NAS where I think it's 18 terabytes of storage on it that I've got some media that uh, I quite like to watch that hasn't fallen off the back of trucks. It's things mostly, it's things that I've uh, myself over the years to watch or have built up from, I used to have a, a network device, HD home run network device that I could record live TV on. So I, I'd have access to that when I was out and about motorbike races and things like that back in the day. I've got a Plex server that runs all that as well. And obviously I've got other things on the file store documents that I might need to get hold of while I was out and about too. So it just gives you that sort of central location you can get back to get things from because not that I'm not trusting of, of things, but occasionally when you've got large files and you want to swap them around, if I've, if I've recorded this podcast, for example, I can zip it back onto the home, home network if I want to or anything else like that. So for me, it works quite well. And I, I do still find transferring large video files. So we, we maintain a YouTube channel at work those files can be large when you're recording people out and about nickel sites and things like that. So uh, to send that via, you know, a Google or a, a, an iCloud or something like that can be prohibitive. I can whip it back onto my home network and it's there and I can work on it. So stuff like that works quite well with it. I think I've got so used to sticking everything in the cloud and hoping for the best. It's not the cloud, it's someone else's computer. I definitely get that, but I've just got used to everything being on OneDrive for work and iCloud for personal use so there's so little i actually have in my house anymore i mean i used to run servers back in the day or you know as myself but just have so little need for it other than to do time machine backups yeah it's horses for courses i think it works well for some people but it's nice it's nice to have the skills to be able to spin these things up every so often and and having the proxmox server which like i say is a bare metal hypervisor that sits on an old windows pc or an old an old pc that's kicking around downstairs in my in my basement it does mean I can play with Docker and I can try out new technologies that are coming in. You know, I can virtualize various operating systems. I can try Linux or Windows or even old versions of Mac OS. If there's a program for that, that I need to go back and run on Leopard or something like that, I can do that. So it's 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 handy to have those kinds of skills and to be able to run programs like this where it's family friendly. You know, it's one button on my on my daughter's iPhone to click to this and she's got a connection back to her, you know, whatever film she was watching at home. So it works quite well from that point of view. Yeah, that's quite cool. I can say, and you do want it to be family friendly. I am impressed with the VPN support on iOS because I only really started using it about a year ago. And you just, you know, you can have it auto connect. I have it manual and I just flick it on. I find it works really well. I'm super impressed with it. Yeah. Uh, well, just a little recommendation for, for WireGarden. It is an entirely open source project and it was very easy to get up and running for me. And I think if all you had was a Raspberry Pi, there's a Raspberry Pi version of it where you can run. And you said, you said it already, you can run your pie hole and you can run your WireGuard VPN on this with three scripts. So for the sake of sort of seven or eight commands, which you can copy and paste off the internet, you can be up and running with something like this. So it's just, for those of you who might be more nerdy listening to this podcast, it's quite a good fun thing to have done. Yeah, I need to find myself a bet project when I get five minutes, I think. Oh, so I'm sure. I miss all the tech. We could, we could maybe build an app together at some point. You never know. Yeah. We'll get there. On my iPad in Swift Playgrounds. Sounds good to me. Well, I think we'll call that a show, Chris. Perfect. All right, cheers, Rod. Thank you. And um, if anybody wants to get in contact, we are wake from sleep at protonmail.com. And on Twitter, you can follow us at WFS underscore podcast. Love to hear any, any feedback. Perfect. Good to talk to you, Chris. See you next week. Yeah, cheers, Rod. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.